Screen Time with John Fardy. This is News Talk. Hello and welcome to Screen Time. I'm John Fardy and this is News Talk's TV and movie show. This week I chat to comedian and actress Natalie Palamides about her role in the new Irish comedy movie Apocalypse Clown. About, well, clowns in an apocalypse of sort on a road trip in Ireland. We review Denzel's return in The Equalizer 3, as well as the tangled love triangle story passages with Brian Lloyd. And comedian and writer and podcaster Colm O'Regan chats about his favourite movie. I'm open on Twitter, John underscore Fardy, or you can email me screentime at newstalk.com. This show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5pm on newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud. And it's on the radio every Saturday at 6pm here on News Talk. It's also repeated on Sunday evenings at 8pm. Good weekend to you all. Hope you're doing well. And uh, if you have small people in your life, they return successfully to school. Uh, we have our five-year-old, who's going to be five in a few weeks, started school on Wednesday. And it all went swimmingly. We were bereft, but he was fine. And I hope if you had children returning to school, it went well for you too. A few days before that, we were having one last summer holiday hurrah to an extent with the kids and we were going to Dublin Zoo and our car clapped out, quite literally clapped out. Uh, and I just about got into a layby, a layby near Dublin airport. Long story short, there was something wrong with the engine that has to be fixed, was thankfully. But there I was in a car with three people who desperately wanted to go to the zoo in a broken down car, not sure what we were going to do. Long story short, we rang my wife's insurance. They sent someone to sort it out. The person who helped sort us out was an angel, a guardian angel of sorts, a man called Robert Moore that I want to quickly thank because when you're in that situation on the side of a road with a broken car, with hungry and sad kids, you need someone who's calm and pleasant. And I've Rarely come across someone who was as calm and as pleasant and just allayed the situation. Turns out he listens to the show. He's also an Everton fan, God help him. But I just want to say a special thanks to a Robert Moore, who was quite literally a guardian angel last Sunday to me and mine on the side of a road. Getting to movies and TV, which is what you're here for, hopefully, is this Saturday. That's today, if you're listening on the radio, the 2nd of September, is National Cinema Day. And you might think that doesn't affect you. Well, by golly, it does, because 99% of cinemas in Ireland have signed up to it. And that means you can go and see things like Oppenheimer or Barbie or Apocalypse Clown, which is out yesterday, the 1st of September, for four euros. That's right. Three, I'm turning into an American. Get down, buy now. But you can. You can go to the cinema today for four euros to see anything. 3D cinemas, uh, you know, IMAX, all that. It's four quid across the board in 99% of the cinemas. I don't know who the people are who aren't taking part, but practically everybody is. So uh, it's been a great summer for the cinema. And maybe this might be a way to, you know, continue that. So why don't you go to the cinema? Last year, they had 200,000 admissions in one day on National Cinema Day. So if you're listening on the radio and it's six o'clock on Saturday, there is still time to go to the cinema today on Saturday, Saturday night at the movies and all that. So I, for one, am beyond behind National Cinema Day. Now, in TV this week, I was watching this. They needed to show a body. Send the photo of a body down to the ground. Why? as leverage, I don't know, it's all it can be. Leverage for what? For whatever's going on down there. 
send a picture of a body. It proves that they mean business. Helps them get what they want. Okay, well, they've got their picture. So it's done, yeah? What's the problem? Well, they sent a picture of the only dead body on the plane. So no one had to die. Exactly, that's what I mean. Yeah, but what if it happens again? What if they need another dead body? We could fake it. Or we refuse. Refuse? Well, not refuse, I mean. Go on. If it happens again. Fight? Yeah. Fight. It's the only thing we can do. It's either us or them, and I could tell you it's not going to be us. Yes, now that is the unmistakable. Well, maybe it's not unmistakable, but Idris Elba there in a plane, a plane that has been hijacked. And he's talking to the passengers there about what might happen. I was talking about this earlier in the week with Pat Kenny on our series Boxed, who kind of recommended this to me. Usually it's the other way around, but he said we should do this show or someone told me he loved it. And I had misgivings about a series about hijacking a plane because it just seems like something out of the 70s or something, those disaster movies. But I was kind of wrong. because and Maybe it is like something out of the 70s, but this is brilliant TV. It's on Apple TV. It's seven parts. And what you have is a plane being hijacked as it leaves Dubai, I think it is. And for the next seven episodes, it pretty much takes place in real time. And you might think, how is that going to work? Like, do I really want to be in a plane for seven hours that's being hijacked? I'm telling you, you do. Because they've really created something wonderful here. Because it's unusual in that you're not sure who the people are who've taken over the plane. You're certainly not sure what their motives are. There are a whole load of red herrings in terms of the passengers on the plane. I don't want to give anything away, but it really builds and twists and turns in a very clever way right up until the end. Uh and it gives you this brilliant sense of being on a plane and overhead luggage and putting on the call light and all that stuff. And in tandem with that, you have a lot of stuff going on on the ground in terms of the government trying to get this plane down, uh, some of the passengers. Idris Elba is the main guy in this, I should mention. And he's someone who, for a living, kind of sorts stuff out. And he becomes central to trying to save this plane and he is brilliant uh grace under pressure he does well uh, i've interviewed him before and i mentioned that he's such presence as an actor and he he has presence to boot in this so hijack on apple tv is really really good and and just utterly bingeable but with a caveat it's very stressful there is a lot of tension in this uh as this plane continues to be hijacked. Uh, now, there's no great, which is maybe the right thing. This isn't making a point really about anything. You know, there's no so-so economic stuff going on here or anything like that. It's just a great thriller in the sky. Really bingeable, tense watching, brilliant watching. Hijack on Apple TV, seven episodes, each coming in at about 50 minutes. A brilliant watch. So as I mentioned, Apocalypse Clown is out this week and it's an Irish movie and a comedy and it sees a troop of clowns, living statues and I guess ravers roaming about a dystopian Ireland where electricity has been stopped by a solar flare. We have Bobo the Clown played by David Earl. People will know from Afterlife. He's kind of a washed up clown 
and doesn't want to do it anymore. But he has this wind up car, so it doesn't need electricity. So he ends up piling in this vehicle with this mime clown, Pepe, played by Fionn Foley, and this marvelous creation called Funzo, a kind of helium voiced street clown named Funzo, played by Natalie Palomides, the actress and comedian, kind of the steen stealer in this movie. And they go on this kind of road trip. Uh, legendary clown Jean de Kock, there's a lot of humor in that, uh, played by Barry McGovern, dies. And they're trying to take him to his funeral. So they basically attach this body to the car. Along the way, they meet Jenny, who's this journalist played by Amy de Brune, who's once hooked up with Bobo, even though she wants nothing to do with him anymore. And she's trying to make a story and thinks there might be something more to this, this solar flare that's plunge the country into darkness. So it's a kind of clown road trip comedy. Uh, sounds bizarre. It is. A lot of humour in it. Very funny in places. As I mentioned, Natalie Palomides is kind of the best thing in it. She's incredible. Not that everyone else isn't good in it, but she's scene stealing, playing this really unusual clown, Funzo. Now, Natalie Palomides is an actress and comedian and who also studied clowning. Uh, yes, that that's a thing and she's done all sorts of different roles in movies and tv shows she was in jackass you can currently see her on a netflix show called nate a one-man show where she's playing a man she's in drag who's kind of this jock and he's inappropriate let's say i started watching it on netflix it got rave reviews it was a one-man show in in edinburgh i think and it looks at themes of kind of consent and all sorts of stuff it, it, it's quite the watch which i'm only halfway through that's currently on netflix she's had a very interesting career even before she was an actress and as i say she's a professional clown and i spoke to her earlier this week about apocalypse clown and a bit more besides Natalie, hi, how are you? Hey, good, how are you? I'm very well. You know, one somewhere in the movie, or or maybe I read this, but somebody says something along the lines of, you know, the only real way to look at the world is to laugh at it. That's why clowns yeah. are great. And so there's kind of a philosophy at play going through this movie that, you know, a clownish existence might actually be the way forward. Is that part of it as you see it? Oh, yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm also a clown uh, professionally, I guess. I'm known as a clown in the comedy, yeah. niche comedy world. And um, I think one of my favorite things about the uh, ethos behind clowning is that you find all of your success and failure. So um, I think that's a freeing way to go about life is, you know, looking at all your failures is where you'll find your gold and where where you'll, you'll find your success. Wow. So it, that's part of the clown makeup, I suppose. You, you, you know, you, you focus on your failures and that's why so many clowns are sad. Oh, <laughs> maybe not. That. Well, <laughs> no, like so um, when you study clowning, like in a clown school, which um, it's funny because one of the main characters, Pepe, um, his, uh, the running gag of his character is that he's very pretentious about clowning and the school of clowning. And I find that I kind of relate to that the most, uh, in my everyday life. I'm always kind of trying to explain to people what clowning is. And in doing that, I find that it does sound very pretentious, but, uh, it's just because I, I care about it a lot, but, um, it's it's not uh, that clowns get sad about failures. That clowns are actually always the optimist. 
Um, so even though they're failing, the comedy comes from them trying again, no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Sorry, I kind of misunderstood that, but I have it now. I, I really find that fascinating. Uh, yeah. And I, I suppose like a lot of people, you know, clowns, the the, the 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 prototype of a clown is fascinating to a lot of people. And just on that, because you're, you know, a professional clown as well as <laughs> other things, when you got this script was this manna from heaven for you like here's a movie about a troop of clowns trying to bury their mentor i mean that seems like gurse to the mill of someone who's into clowning yeah i was actually blown away when i first read the script one i was just like laughing like every few seconds there's a gag there's like five gags a minute in the script Mm -hmm. and i was just blown away that it was getting funded and getting made because uh, I think very rarely these days do people take uh, a risk on something that's so off the wall and that also has so much heart. You know, I think it's very Mm -hmm. rare to have both of those things in the same film. And uh, yeah, I was just blown away by all of the, um, you know, uh, like really detailed characters that they had in the film and um, all of the, you know, niche references to clowning and stuff I could really relate to. And also just my role in particular is uh, something I think very rare for um, somebody to write for a female actress or (laughs) a female actor, an actress. I don't know. I guess that's redundant. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's, um, you know, it's usually a part that's written for a man, like somebody who gets to um, play like, some somebody so uh psychotic yeah. and funny and sweet and gets to be really big and gross and scary and loud and uh yeah I, I, this character allows me to play both sides of the coin um which is just kind of a role you don't get to see very often in scripts yeah. so I was like super excited to play it and of course I love clowns so yeah I was all in yeah yeah and, and your your performance is all in so your character and, and I said she's the best thing in it. And that's no disrespect to David Earl or, or anyone else. Who, <laughs> who I, I really like Bobo, his clown, because he's a world weary clown. But just talk to us about your character, Funzo. She's she's I don't know how to describe her. She's psychotic, maybe, is is is, is, is as you describe her. But there's a huge amount going on with her. Yeah, I mean, I think she's just oblivious to the fact that she's psychotic. Um, she has a really big heart and her journey through the movie, I think, is that she uh, really wants to get a clown troupe together and perform on the streets. And she just really wants to make people laugh. But she's also oblivious to the fact that she looks insanely scary and horrifying. Um, they kind of modeled my character's look after the clown in the movie It. Yeah, which I guess sure. That clown is called, what is that clown? Pennywise. Pennywise, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, she's just oblivious to the fact that she is scary and um, she just wants to make people laugh. Um, So she's very innocent and sweet, but has moments where she goes completely off the wall and um, gets a little uh, demonic, I suppose. But, um, you know, she's just written that way to have all those big fun moments. So I was just, you know, following what was uh, written in the script and it was really a blessing to uh, get to play a part like that. It was super fun. And, you know, it's, she wants to get a, a troop of clowns together. There's also this 
solar flare thing going on mm-hmm. and, and the world has gone into darkness in, in yeah. a certain sense. And you're also, it's a road movie because you're meeting mm. people as you carry this body uh, across the country. So presumably you came to Ireland and, and filmed all this on the on the mean streets of Dublin and other places. Yeah. Oh yeah. I love Ireland. It was so much fun. My Actually, one of my favorite places we shot was in this big bog um, I don't know how many bogs there are in Ireland. I guess they're depleting, but there are still more here than there are in most other places. Oh, yeah. It was so squishy and fun. I think <laughs> that was most people's least favorite day of shooting because it was freezing and cold and we didn't really have anywhere to take cover because we were out in the middle of this bog. But I just had so much fun squishing on the ground. <laughs> it's really Excellent. fun the bog. Well, it was nice to have you squishing on our bogs. Tell me this: it's a very, <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a very obvious question when it comes to clowning law. But you, you look terrific in it, and you, you said psychotic and demonic, and you do look that way. Was was the makeup a lot every day? Oh gosh, it was a bit. It was like my. I guess it was like sometimes it was an hour, but I guess on average maybe the makeup was like two hours, sometimes yeah. three hours, depending on. Uh, the look there's several looks uh, throughout the movie that the characters go through but I don't want to give anything away but oh, one of the looks took about three hours and uh, they painted my face with egg wash so it was like eggs and flour they painted my face with because um, George Kane wanted the character he's the director uh, to look like you know she had never washed her makeup off and I just loved that mm. idea because you know in the script it says she lives in a sewer and you know, she just lives and breathes being a clown. That's all she wants to do. And so she just um, is is in that look 100% of the time. Yeah. And so I think having the cracked makeup on my face really helped to sell that idea. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Apocalypse Clown uh, is in cinemas uh, on general release from this Friday, the 1st of September. Natalie, I want to ask you about Nate uh, before uh-huh. finishing, but but just en route to that, uh, I, I watched a bit of it last night. I found, I didn't get to watch it all. I'm sorry, there are ma- many TV shows and films in my father's mansion, but I did start uh-huh. it and enjoyed <laughs> what I saw. But just en route to that, reading about you, I mean, you, you seem like a, a, a classic... Uh, writer and actress and comedian in that you, you've you done a lot of things on the way. You've had all sorts of odd jobs to find yourself here. You've had a very, oh. in a way, you know, someone said actors invented unemployment. Like you've taken all sorts of gigs along your way, not just acting and comedian, right? So like you've, you've lived to tell the tale of all sorts of odd jobs. Yeah, yeah. I was a security guard. It was probably my oddest job. <laughs> um, I secured the Academy Awards and um, the USC college campus. And uh, that was probably my weirdest one. I also like, uh, you know, uh, uh, not proud to uh, say this, but one of my job was selling scam acting classes at like shopping centers in Los Angeles. I didn't have to sell them. I just had to get people to show up to the introduction introduction meeting. And for each family, I got to show up to these like scam acting classes. I got like 20 bucks, but I was so bad at the job. Uh, people could tell I was kind of lying, I guess, or not being totally honest when I said, yeah, they're great. I had to walk up to, you know, families with kids and say like, your daughter is so cute. Have you ever thought about putting her on the Disney channel or on Nickelodeon? I know exactly how you can get there. 
there's these acting classes and there's actually uh, the first one introductory meeting tomorrow. You know what I mean? And uh, I just always felt so bad trying to get them to go that I, I never made any money. (laughs) Most weekends I I made like zero to $20. You were too moral to be a crook, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I tried the promise of getting people to, all you have to do is get them to show up. They didn't have to sign up, you know? So, you know, I took some solace in that they didn't have to sign up in order for me to get paid, but okay. I don't know, I still always felt bad. Anyways, yeah. this, I, I can go on and on about <laughs> my boring jobs, but I was no, a that... barista, a waitress, a you know, security guard, uh, uh, sold scam acting classes, sold these were scams as in because people weren't going to get acting classes no they were they were going to get the acting classes it was just like you know they over promised things to yeah people. okay yeah well look you live to tell the tale tell me this then nate uh it, it's available mm. on netflix if people want to watch it and i started it last night and enjoyed it but and you mentioned you're not sure whether you say actress or actor so you're playing <laughs> a, a guy who's kind of unpleasant can you just give our listeners a better flavor of it than i might oh yeah well i see my character nate is a douchebag with a heart of gold um yeah i'm in drag the entire show as this um, male character, Nate. And um, the show kind of explores the uh, gray area of consent. So plays with that. Um, but I guess I, you know, push the boundaries of the audience. I, I, I interact with the audience a lot. You know, it is a, yeah. uh, I incorporate clowning and physical comedy into the show. Um, but it's very, I guess, raunchy. Uh, the comedy in the show. So if you don't like uh, raunchy or or blue comedy, maybe it's not for you. I'm I'm topless most of the show, and when I say most of the show, I guess I mean a hundred percent of the show. <laughs> um, but you know, it, it's pretty wild. Uh, I guess I'd like to describe it as I'd like to think of myself as punk rock, <laughs> which is kind of embarrassing to say. But yeah, it's blue, it's raunchy, but it's also thoughtful. And thought provoking, I think I, my my goal is just to make the audience contemplate uh, the subject matter around it and also make people laugh, you know, most yeah. importantly, because I think, you know, when people are laughing, their minds are most open to new ideas. Right. Well, listen, you are wonderful in Apocalypse Clown, and it's been great to chat to you. And I should say again, Nate, a one man show is on Netflix that people can watch right now after they watch Apocalypse Clown. Natalie, lovely to talk to you. Thanks so much for having me. I'm a street clown. Street clown? <laughs> what is that? That doesn't even mean anything. It means I learned my shit on the streets, not some fancy school with a roof on it. It means a clown for anyone, any place, any time. Down an alley, under a bridge, outside people's windows at night. What did you say, you cock my You know what I said, you Shut little lunatic. You're going to put a four in Jeopardy if you carry on. Oh, you're going to do that for everything you do! This whole argument is pointless. Face it, the world doesn't need clowns anymore. Hmm. We're fax machines. We're travel agents. We're obsolete. A clip there from Apocalypse Clown and as well as David Earl there, you heard Fionn Daly and the lady I was just talking to there, Natalie Palamides, about her role as Funzo in Apocalypse Clown. And Apocalypse Clown is in cinemas this very weekend. It landed on the 1st of September.
Up next, the other week's new releases, which sees Denzel return as the equaliser. Now you're welcome back to Screen Time, News Talks, TV and Movie Show. Now we turn to the week's other new releases and chief among them are Equalizer 3, the return of Denzel Washington as the uh, Avenger of sorts and an intriguing looking I suppose you'd say love triangle set in Paris called Passages. I'm delighted to be joined now by Brian Lloyd of entertainment.ie. Brian, hello. Hello, how are you? Good. And uh, I don't want to overshare, but uh, you had a clamping incident this week. Very, very annoying, aren't they? And it's now going to color every single review that I give. I'm taking one hour <laughs> off every single review because Dublin City Council and the Park and Services people have struck again. So, yeah. Yeah, I just I just thought I'd bring you down before we Thank got you. into it. Thank you for going on, despite the bad week you've had. So listen, <laughs> Denzel, he's back the third of mm. the Equalizer trilogy. So presumably this is the last one. What's happening in this? Is it more of the same or have things changed for him? Pretty much, yeah, it's more of the same. So if you're not familiar with it, uh, Denzel plays this uh, retired CIA assassin. Not an agent, an assassin called Robert McCall. Um, He is now living in southern Italy. He has taken up residence in this small, beautiful, quaint little village called Altamonte um, after he basically ripped apart um, this Sicilian mob boss. Um, And he's recovering from his wounds as he kind of begins to, I suppose, recuperate and get his kind of his strength back. He decides that you know, maybe this is a good place to finally settle down and, you know, leave his violent past behind him. But then when the local hoodlums or the Camorra um, begin to kind of put pressure on the local townsfolk, he sure enough has to go back to his violent ways in order to protect the innocent of uh, Italy, southern Italy. Okay, so there's a slight vibe of, you know, I thought I was out, but they pull me back in. He's thinking he's going to have a happy future here. Yeah, and then just, you know, in terms of his equalizing and avenging, I mean, Mm. the motif has always been he's going after bad guys who deserve it. I'm not saying it's morally correct to kill people, but he's, he's, he's supposedly on the side of the angels, as in that he's going after people who did pretty rotten things. Yeah, yeah, of course. But I mean, the thing of it is, is that like he is... Uh, very much of the school of uh, Old Testament justice. Yeah. Wherein, like, I mean, for example, in this film, in the opening sequence, um, he takes a revolver, shoves the barrel through someone's eye, then turns the poor hapless person around and then shoots another person out the back of the person's skull into another person's skull. Um, that's just the opening sequence of it. Um, then later on, he decides to stab someone to death um, and leave their body out so that the other uh, hoodlums will basically get the message. Um, so, like, I mean, what's always kind of made, I suppose, the Equalizer um, particularly, I don't know if exciting is the right word, satisfying maybe, I don't know. Um, it's really sort of leaned into that kind of crunchy peck and paw esque violence where it's very artfully, I say artfully staged. I mean, it does that thing of, you know, it's not like John Wick. I mean, Denzel Washington is not your conventional action hero, but they do a lot of kind of, uh, he times things a lot. Like he knows he can kill people within like nine seconds or 12 seconds. And he has this little stopwatch that he uses. And, 
it's quite well done. Like it's you know you have the sort of the high frame rate slow down stuff, but then you can see them just kind of like you know moving and shaking around the place or whatever. And yeah. compared to something like Liam Neeson, which you know, I feel like Liam Neeson didn't have the same. I mean, yes, Liam Neeson is a big, tall guy or whatever, but whatever way it was that the various directors, like you know, Wam Collette Sarah or Oliver Megaton or even Luke Besson, whatever way they filmed him, it looked ridiculous. Where this is ridiculous, but in a more, I suppose, visually appealing way, if that makes sense. I mean, it's not it's not campy or anything like that. It just kind of looks slicker, I guess. Yeah. Okay. And Denzel, I mean, in the, I, I've seen the, I haven't seen this one unfortunately, but I have seen the previous two ones. He's very good playing this slightly daft character, though, mm. and very violent character. Is does he continue to be as equally satisfying as the lead in this? Because or or do you find him that way in this? Oh yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I find like you know Denzel as a, as an actor in his, in his later years, I think his he has a stillness about him that is really appealing. Like it's kind of not Tommy Lee Jones, but it's of a similar ilk, you know, that kind of way. Like he kind of moves at his own pace. He kind of envelopes the screen kind of like James Earl Jones had in the seventies as well. When he was doing a lot of those black exploitation films, like he has this real presence when he comes on screen and he moves at his own pace and he speaks with his own timber. And it's very, it's very unique, you know, like Mm. what Liam Neeson was doing was what Steven Seagal had been doing 20 years before what Jean-Claude Van Damme had been doing the same time as well. It was just, you know, a very kind of, prestigious actor if you like was sort of slumming it whereas Denzel you could argue it's the same thing but I feel like Denzel is kind of bringing a bit more thought and a bit more process to it if you know what I mean than the way that Neeson didn't I feel yeah, and the baddies in this, the the mafia he goes up against in in Italy, are they worthy opponents? No, I mean they're 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 poor victims, you know that kind of way. They're, yeah. they're just, I mean, they're just like meat for the meat grinder, you know. That's okay. They're not really developed in any kind of meaningful way. It's just they want to take over this town, they want to run the people out, and then they want to build hotels and casinos and resorts and everything. And I mean, you know, if you were to double build this, if you were to program this alongside something, I mean, you could definitely put uh, you know, any Sergio Sergio Leone kind of film with it because it does have a lot of spaghetti western uh, motifs, if you like. You know, like there's one part in it where one of the mafioso refers to the local cop as Marshall, you know, that kind of way, and his career being threatened. I'm sensing you found this, you know, pleasant, not pleasant is the wrong (laughs) word, but enjoyable enough as a film. It is, actually. I mean, to be fair, I was, I mean, I look, I mean, there's a lot to be said for lowered expectations. Let's put it that way. Yes, yes. I mean, I was going in, you know, expecting chum, and I got relatively okay. I mean, I think it would be the kind of film... If you found yourself at a loose end on a Friday evening or Saturday evening with nothing to do, and I mean, like, of course, it's cinema day this weekend, of course, so like it's four yes. blitz for a cinema. Yeah. So it's exactly the kind of film that you could go in, you'd enjoy it for 90, 100 minutes. And if you spend four quid for it, you wouldn't feel too bad about it if you didn't like it. Conversely, as well, I think if you saw it on a streaming service or if you saw it on a plane, 
again, you'd equally have a fine time with it, but it's not the sort of film that you'd be rushing out to see or that you'd be raving about. It's fine. Sometimes that's enough. Sometimes it's okay yeah. to just be okay and just to kind of, you know, make a pot boiler. And that's what this is really, a pot yeah. boiler. So what would you say stars-wise for the Equalizer 3? I'd go with three out of five. Like, it's, it's actually okay. entertaining. Like, it's actually pretty good. God knows what he would have given if he hadn't been clamped. So that is three out of five for The Equalizer 3, starring, obviously, Denzel Washington. Let's take a quick clip. You like being in other people's business. I'm really beginning to like this place and the people. I'm starting to believe from the bottom of my heart that this is where I'm supposed to be. So, whatever it is that you and your friends do, Please do it somewhere else. You warning me? I'm preparing you. Denzel Washington there in The Equalizer 3, which is being reviewed as we speak by Brian Lloyd, who gave it three stars. Brian, we move to something very different. Passages, uh, a movie about a love triangle on the Parisian streets. Yeah. And it's interesting. I mean, the director of this, Ira Sachs, he did this great film about nine, ten years ago. I don't know if you saw it. It was called Love is Strange. And it starred John Lithgow and Alfred Molina, and it was set in New York. But when I was, wa- I remember when I was watching that film, it felt very much like a French film. Um, in that a lot of French films I find, um, generally tend to be very slice of life. You know, plot is secondary, character and mood is uh, primary, and. As I was watching Love is Strange, I was thinking, God, he really should make a film in Paris. And sure enough, he has here. Um, so what's going on in this is, is that it's basically a married, a gay married couple uh, played by Ben Wishaw and Franz Rogowski. And sorry to interrupt. Is Ben Wishaw playing an English person or a French person? Oh, no, he's playing an English person. No, no, no. He's playing okay. an English person. Yeah. And Franz Rogowski is German as well, but they both live okay. in Paris. Yeah. Okay. And uh, France. I just assumed everyone who's in France is French, you know. But you would, yeah. No, that's a, that's a yeah. No, that's a that's a that's a valid assumption. Yeah, I mean, total valid assumption. But um, so uh, France's character is a uh, director, and Ben Wishaw's character works in the art world, leading a very bohemian life. They seem to kind of have a bit of an open relationship too, because uh, France is out at a rap party, and he meets Adeline Exarchopoulos who people may remember from Blue is the Warmest Colour, if you saw that. Yeah. Yeah. So he meets uh, Adeline Exaropolis, his character, um, and he decides to go home with her and they end up having sex. But then the next day he arrives back to his husband and he talks openly about the fact of, look, listen, I, I had sex with a woman last night. I felt really excited you kind of get the sense that their relationship, uh, Ben and Franz's relationship, has kind of dried up a little bit. They seem to be a little bit distant with each other. And Ben Wishaw's character is understanding, you know, in the sense of he's like, look, you you go through this every time you finish a film. Don't worry about it. It's fine. We'll talk about it when you get home. And Franz's character is trying to reach him. And this is something that I actually thought was brilliant about this film is, is that, it really takes you through a real emotional arc with each individual character. Like you start off and you think Ben Wishaw's character is very kind of cold and 
almost kind of clinical in a sort of way and emotionally detached whereas Franz Kogowski's character is very or sorry Rogowski's character uh, is very much in tune with his emotions and you know he can't he's no filter he's no tact he has to say exactly what on what's on his mind and he's completely honest to the point of he's admitting infidelity straight away and then Adeline Exarchopoulos's character is you know very sort of uh transient if you like you know that kind of way she's young she's not really sure what she's doing she's just kind of like bumming along with her friends and sort of meets up with them meets up with this group of people and just kind of is carried away with them and stuff and as the kind of the affair goes on uh franz eventually ends up ending his marriage with ben wishaw moves in with adeline and then we see that Adeline, as a character, uh, is actually much more traditional than perhaps Franz's character initially thought. When he starts getting bored with her, he tries to go back to he tries to go back to Ben Wishaw, but Ben Wishaw is moved on to somebody else and is like, "Well, look, you made you'd made the decision to end this, and I've moved on with my life." As is often the case with a relationship that's been so instrumental to the foundation of a person, he finds himself kind of letting them back in and you know rekindling it to a certain degree and then it just kind of i don't want to say the film sort of lacks a resolution but it kind of sort of gets messy and doesn't really become clear and i think that's kind of the point the fact that Mm. people's lives are very often defined by the messy parts as opposed to the clean and simple parts you know yeah well that sounds like a very messy love triangle and again uh, you know great description but is it any good i loved it i thought it was great um i mean there's a lot of controversy about the fact that uh the u.s uh, ratings board gave it an nc17 and i think ifco either gave it a 16s or an 18s like i mean it's quite sexually explicit. Like, I mean, there are extended moments of uh, physical intimacy between Ben Wishaw and Franz Rogowski and then Franz Rogowski and Adeline Exarchopoulos. And the way that Iris Sachs directs them is very telling as well. You know, like there's certain scene, certain sex scenes where it's very much bare and sort of perfunctory and kind of going through the motions and one person is getting more out of it than the other person is. And then there are other scenes where they're, it's very full on and very, very much going at it. They do make up quite a lot of the film. I've never like those sex scenes have a point. They're not just, yeah, that's exactly. Yeah, that's exactly Mm -hmm. it. They actually do inform the characters. They do actually inform the story. It's not just for titillation. It's not just to kind of, you know, get through, get through to the next scene or whatever. Mm. They actually do serve a purpose, you know? Yeah. Okay. So what would you say stars wise for passages? Uh, four out of five. I mean, it's, it's, mm. I mean, it's very French. I, I mean, I think if you have, if you have. You say that like it's a bad thing, but. Well, no, I mean, like, you know, there are certain French films where you're kind of watching. I was like, oh, this is so, like one fine morning, which by the way, I loved but you're watching, it's like, oh, this is so French sometimes. It's like, oh, stop yeah. that kind of thing, you know? Um, <laughs> it's very French, but very beautifully staged, very, very, very well acted. I think if you can kind of meet it on its own terms, it's definitely worth a watch. 
Yeah, it does sound intriguing and pleasingly messy, Yeah, uh, if, if that's not too pretentious a phrase. So that is four for Passages, which also, like the Equalizer 3, is on release from this Friday, the 1st of September. I've been uh, talking about these movies with Brian Lloyd of Entertainment.ie, who, despite being clamped, <laughs> has persevered. As Beckett said, we can't go on, we must go on. Brian, thank you very much. Thank you. Up next, Colm O'Regan on his favourite movie. Now you're welcome back to Screen Time News Talks TV and Movie Show. It's that stage of the week where we talk to someone well-known about their favourite movie. My next guest has previously appeared on this show talking about maths in the cinema because it is Colm O'Regan, who is quite simply a renaissance man when you look at his CV. He is described as a comedian, an author, a podcaster, a columnist, a stand-up comedian, all sorts of things. And I'm delighted to say he joins me in studio to chat about his favourite movie. Colm, hello, how are you? Fine, thanks. I feel like I'm a, a what a low rent Leonardo da Vinci after that uh, description. <laughs> like if you got, if you ordered Leonardo da Vinci off Wish uh, and with no competence whatsoever, then uh, but yes, I, I'm self-employed. I think is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> okay, your favorite movie. I think you struggled a bit, as as people often do in this. It's only been chosen once in the four years we're doing this. It is a doozy, and by that I mean something very good. Tell our listeners what it is and why. It's when we were kings. Uh, the boxing documentary. And I think when you're describing films like uh, pigeonholing them as the boxing documentary, it'll never do it justice to the kind of how good it is or how interesting it is or how interesting it is if you've no interest in boxing or documentaries. Yeah. Um, But it's the story of the rumble in the jungle. Which was between... Muhammad Ali and George Foreman in, I think, 1974. took place in Kinshasa in... Zaire, now uh, the Congo, and it is, uh, the backdrop was Muhammad Ali. I think he was coming back to getting his world title, having lost it through avoiding, the, uh, through not wanting to go to Vietnam. And George Foreman, he's, he's older, and George Foreman is the younger boxer. So it it is set up like a Hollywood thing in mm. terms of the story, mm-hmm. Uh Purely because films are based on real stories and that's, it's not the other way around. You know, yeah. that, that's what life is like. But this one is particularly neat in terms of a, a story of an arc of redemption and getting through something, you yeah. know, uh, and challenges and all that kind of thing. Uh, so, yeah, I I first watched it. Uh, I, I didn't watch it when it first came out, but I saw it in New York. Oh, <laughs> I saw it in New okay. York. Uh, yeah, wow. Yeah, it was there for, uh, I think it was, it was either there for a conference or my J1. <laughs> I was there in my J1. and uh, So it was on your J1. It yeah. was on my okay. J1. And and I I made that uh, Irish person deciding to go to the cinema in America. It's a leap of faith because <laughs> the cost of a cinema ticket in in the late 90s in America is the cost of a cinema ticket now in Euro. So I was like, yeah. do I pay $15? Especially on your J1 way. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I could go to the real picture in Mallow for £2 before <laughs> I left. Now you're asking me for $20. Uh, so that was, so it was atmospheric to go uh, mm. and watch a film in America. Uh, yeah, I. it's a documentary that... Uh, it's one of those few things I've watched more than once. Yeah. And just on the movie itself, because I can't stress how much I agree with you that you know, people are put off by boxing or documentaries or the idea of a sporting documentary. And yet this 
you can have no interest in any of those things because the footage that they have is yeah. incredible. And some of the talking heads, like Norman Mail or yeah. something, if I'm not mistaken. So there yeah. are, it's an intellectual movie as much as it is about it is. punching lard out of each other in the jungle. Absolutely. And there's so many layers to it because it's very apt now actually to watch it because essentially the whole exercise is a giant sports washing exercise <laughs> for one of the most egregiously awful dictators uh, that have lived, Mobutu, you know. Yeah. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, the the venue was built over a prison. Mm-hmm. Like it is, it is metaphorically and literally and physically sports washing. Yeah. Um, so there's that, right? That 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 the unease at what they're doing, and it's there's a brilliant complexity to that because you're talking about African Americans who are going as they as one guy says it in a you know from the root to the fruit like yeah. they're going back or from the fruit to whatever yeah, yeah, going yeah. back home it's back to Africa, yeah. um, and they're talking about like Muhammad Ali is, you know he does this bit where he's talking to the pilots you know and these pilots they speak. They speak English, they speak African, they speak French. I can't even speak English good. And there's, there's all that kind of stuff. So obviously he's wisecracking his way through it, but all that. But yet he's going, they're going back, um, in inverted commas, back to a country mm. that is run by an autocrat. Yeah. So there's that, and that's not washed over. Yeah, that's no, not, exactly. There is no sports yeah. washing in the telling yeah, of the story. It, yeah. So... So it's very apt now if you look at yeah, what's, you know, of course. Saudi Arabia story. And so it's basically saying sports watching is old. Um, it's all has happened. But also you need to, if you're making documentaries about things, mm. major sporting events, this is a template for how to reflect that. Yeah, by getting really clever people to talk about it. So have Spike Lee, Norman Mailer, George Plimpton, the, yeah. that old journalist with a sort of a New England yeah. accent that people thought he was from England. Yeah. You know, that kind of... And, and isn't uh, is James Brown? Who's yes, the that's yeah. that's the other the yeah. the other pillar of it is it's a music festival as yeah. well. So the idea is the best of um, African America yeah. coming back to Africa. Yeah, and so there's a huge music festival. I don't know whether we're Sly and the Family Stone there, but James Brown was as yeah. well. And you know, it uh, technically it's a beautiful mix of where they mix the music footage of you know, dancing uh, Congolese dancers are on stage dancers. You know, there are like James Brown backing singers, James Brown doing his strutting mixed with boxing footage, cut to footage of George Foreman who makes the boo-boo of bringing his pet Alsatian (laughs) to to Zaire. And that goes down terribly with the locals because they, for them, Alsatians mean the Belgians dogs, mm. police dogs, you mm. know. Um, so so all of that stuff, is it's such a heady mix and then it's beautifully shot and, and the look of it, it's that 70s yeah. grainy colour um, yeah. and, and also there's, be- there's some beautiful footage, you know, African mornings. Like if you've ever been to anywhere near the equator, yeah. there's, a, there's a light at the morning that is just, you won't, like, it's it's very hard to describe because it's it seems different of Angle of the Sun, I'm not sure. I'm verging off into complete pseudo, pseudo something here, but... Um, I was just going to so say, you got away with the New, New York reference, but now yes. the... Yeah, and the dodgy accent. S- sunlit yes. mornings in Africa. Exactly, no, that, correct, uh, there needs to be a correction. Um, so it's all of that. Um, so music, politics, sport, Don King... Yes. Uh, ...as a character. And, and a caricature of himself. Now. Yeah, you yeah. see where he was 
where he grows into yeah. the Don King persona is through this. The the documentary itself took 20 years to make. Yeah. So I don't know what it is about anything that takes a long time to make. It it seems to imbue it with the pace is right or something yeah. because they have everything. Yeah, exactly. So it's not rushed yeah. because they've had all this time to pick out exactly what everyone wants to say. It's one of the greatest documentaries, one of the greatest movies of all time. It was chosen only once in this slot by Ross Whitaker, who yeah. I think is probably who knows? Ireland's knows stuff. greatest yeah. living documentary maker. And he said it kind of changed his life because yeah. he realised all those elements you talked about and that documentaries could be this kind of thing. Yeah. And they could be... The gift of time yeah. that if you wait around yeah. and you wait on something, it's only going to improve. So yeah. that is an excellent choice. Thank you. And I'm delighted you went to such trouble to describe it. Yeah. I, in the intro to this, gave you a very long half in jest, but yeah. they're all true things. Yeah. And you said, that just means I'm self-employed. But were you one of those type of people in school you realised I was always probably destined, like, you were always destined for that kind of life to do all these kind of different things because you were never going to go work in a bank or whatever. No well, disrespect to bank. No, no, workers. no. Uh, the, well, the first thing is I grew up on a farm which lends itself to multitasking and yes. having to having to do stuff. Now, yeah. unfortunately, and this is some of the subtext of the, the show I'm doing. Um, we'll get to that. Don't, that worry. Yeah, Don't worry. I wasn't as useful as my father was, but I think self. I, I might have been headed for self-employment. Right. Okay. Whatever form that took. Because growing up in in a workplace yeah. and having your parents around all the time, which is an absolute pain in the rear end when you're a teenager and they're literally, I just want to smoke. Where can I go? <laughs> you know, um, but so I think I was destined for that. I Like I did engineering in college and I loved it. Um, and then I went in working in computers and maybe I ran out of wage road 10 years in and this, and, and it was the self-employment as okay. well as the comedy that was made me kind of give this whole thing a go. So I'm not I'm not sure but definitely I think maybe it's the farm aspect of it okay. that lends itself to the being your own boss or rather being the <laughs> being at the mercy <laughs> of, of forces beyond your control. Yeah. Being at the mercy of many bosses. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But but not but but not necessarily being dependent on one person's yes. mood. Yeah. Uh, that day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, well, that, so maybe that, I'm th- not sure. Th- that makes sense. Now you subtly mentioned your upcoming <laughs> show. Now the title alone is great, The Small Pale Nerd at the End of the World. Yes. So this is taking place in the Fringe Festival this year, starting next month. Give us the dates. Uh, it's on the 14th to the 22nd, apart from the 16th, which is my wife's birthday. Oh, and oh, look at that. And the 20th, which I think there might be a rugby match on in the venue that night. I'm not sure. Uh, and the venue being? The Circular in Rialto. Okay. So not quite in the centre of town, but a couple of stops out on the Lewis. And, and it's what? And as we know, the Lewis is free. Yeah. <laughs> and it's what exactly? It's uh, it's sparked by at the at the time. So it's not about the pandemic, but there was a moment in the pandemic where we were all called upon to um, Ireland, your country, your call kind of yeah. vibe. Where can we help out? Yeah, and if, I don't know. There was a brief a brief period where you could sign up on the website offering your skills. Yeah, and 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 it was in filling that out I realized how useless <laughs> my skills were in a crisis because I think. There might there we have enough bull SH1T artists. Yeah. Uh, so I think they might have been looking for people with uh, radiography ability, or you know. So it's that moment of realize mid forties. What are my what are my skills exactly? Mm. And uh, so that was one crux. Small pale nerd comes from 
uh, one of the best um, put downs I received in school. I wasn't I wasn't badly bullied in school. I would say I was well bullied. <laughs> it, was like, it was technically excellent. And you wouldn't call it bullying compared to obviously what people go through. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I, 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 as a comedian, I prize a well-placed slagging yeah, off. Yeah, so absolutely. So you were referred to as a small a pale. Small, it was just somebody on the spur of the moment said, Gwe, you, you small pale nerd. And it just, rule of three, yeah, accurate. <laughs> and like, you don't really often describe somebody as pale. Yeah. As, yeah. Like, you're 15, you don't describe yeah. your buddy as pale. No. But it's, it was just a piece of technically excellent put-downery yeah. that I've, of, I've often wanted to use. Um, so is this show you musing in a comic way yeah. on what you're good at. What you're good at are are how to bridge the gap with like how to gain the co- how to get confidence. Because I think you're all like so there's 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 ways in which you can be good at something, but often you don't have the room. Like if you're good at woodwork or you want to be good at woodwork, where mm. do you where do you practice? Like, you know, like it's it's almost like I'd love to be. In, I'd love there to be a situation. I don't want to go to a men's shed. I just love to help out a fella who's doing a bit of work. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And carry stuff and learn on the job. But you, you know, you need a yeah. safe pass. Like so. So it's that. Where where is there space for helping out for the metal for okay. physical collegial work? Okay. And I found one space which I won't give away. Okay. Um, uh, or one idea or yeah. one area um, that I think, and it's not men only. But I do think men in particular uh, who are very soft-handed, who happen to be soft-handed and white-collary, they end up going to white-collar boxing or yeah, yeah. running long distances yeah. for no reason. Yeah, yeah, but actually yeah. what I'm looking for, I just want to be of use. Mm. I want to help <laughs> in a place where I'm not a hindrance. Do you know what I mean? And yeah, it's about yeah. that kind of thing. And there is nothing like a good physical day's work. And I'm not fetishizing. <laughs> like you know, whittling uh, to to escape from the office or whatever. But there there's a need, I think, in a lot of people to just dig a hole. Uh, <laughs> you know, like uh, and you and you you won't do it in your own place because like if I get it wrong, <laughs> I'm gonna be staring at that yeah. for a year. Then get a proper man in to fix it. Yeah. And when he says, "Who did this for you?" I'm gonna have to say lie or say actually it was me. You know. Yeah. So it's try exploring that kind of. Okay, that sounds like a fascinating of, premise. You know, and just in closing, this is, that's my way of saying yeah. I'm going to rap now. Yeah. See, I can do it too. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but this is a written show as opposed to you free-flowing stand-up. I know. Well, no, it's stand-up. Yeah, it's not theatrical, right? It's stand-up okay. with a point or, yeah. a, or okay. a vague theme. I'm always wary of stand-up with too much of a point yeah. because okay. sometimes that can sacrifice yeah. what are known as jokes. Um, so there isn't, so there's, it's, it's musings is right, but it's stand-up, stand-up comedy. Excellent. Or about 50 minutes or so next to the Lewis in Rialto. Next to the Lewis in yeah. Rialto in, in the, the circle. If circular. people want to find out more about all you do including your maths podcast yeah. your columns in uh, The Examiner yeah. your books over the years Irish Mammies all yeah. sorts of things The Climate Crisis they can go to columnoregan.com Dot com yeah now they might find some things that say looking forward to uh, next January okay. you know but uh, and then Twitter for more up to date stuff yeah. you know the way you know yourself I'm like I have 15 different things to maintain Absol- I had a look at your yeah. website I've yeah. seen a lot worse ones a lot more out of date so you're not doing too bad his favourite movie I should add a view counter uh. <laughs> his favourite movie before he interrupted me was we When We Were Kings it is a great sporting documentary his show The Small Pale Nerd at the End of the World is part of the Fringe Festival you can find out more at colmoregan.com or go to the Fringe Festival exactly. website and that show is on at the Circular Column thank you very much my pleasure I've done something new for this fight I murdered a rock injured a stone Hospitalize a brick. I'm so mean I make medicine sick. Come on.
the food more base than Bootsy Collins. Too fast! You're too fast! The king is going home to get his throne. Yeah, when I get to Africa, we're going to get it on because we don't get alone. So we try to get the champions of the sports world, champions of the music world. A clip there of When We Were Kings, the favourite movie of the very funny Colm O'Regan. That is it for this week. Thank you for listening. Uh, as I say, if you're listening on Saturday evening, not too late to get out to the cinema for a stunning four euros in 99% of the cinemas on National Cinema Day. And you know what? If you're listening on podcasts later in the week, go to the cinema. There's great things out there still. Oppenheimer. Next week, there's going to be an incredible movie called Past Lives. Best movie I've seen all year. More of that next week. Thanks to Anne-Marie Kane, who helped out on the show. If you want to get in touch with me at any stage, you can email me screentime at newstalk.com or my Twitter handle is John underscore Fardy. I'll just remind you, this show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5 p.m. on newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud. And it's on the radio every Saturday at 6 p.m. here on Newstalk. Enjoy the remainder of your weekend and I will talk to you all next week.